This is episode 264 of the Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, Chase and Joel will take a look at the newest family film that is not animated, The Kid Who Would Be King, and Joel's going to have an extra review, as well as the movie news and movie trailers, all that more on today's Real Me In. What is going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of uh, your favorite podcast of the week. Uh, I am Chase Lee, one of your co-hosts here for Real Me In, and you know, uh, this is episode 264, as the intro stated, and we are going to be talking about the kid who would be king, as well as a bunch of uh, trailers and news and a bunch of stuff that has dropped this past week. Uh, if you're new to the show, uh, what we typically do is um, we'll go over some movie news or movie trailers and then movie news and then review the movies that are in said title. And then Joel will have his uh, mini review of something. And then uh, we'll wrap up the show. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. And uh, if you didn't know what this was, if you are new, it is a movie podcast. And if you are a, a movie fan or if you're someone that's trying to get into a film, um commentary community uh i think you found the right one i think joel and i are pretty inviting for the most part i know joel scares a lot of people off but i'm here to tell you that he's a lot nicer than you think so um he is no curmudgeon um like mark is but uh he's getting there i feel like when joel gets older he and mark will be pretty much the same and they will just be curmudgeons uh reviewing movies uh on their deathbed it'll be a uh, fantastic to witness so um yeah before i flip it over to joel uh if you guys could spread this uh podcast around and let people know about it, your friends family whatever uh we really appreciate it and uh make sure you you know like and comment all that stuff i like when you guys are interactive um speaking of the joseph over there joel uh what's been going on over there you know we haven't uh seen each other in a whole week haven't talked to each other um you know, it's uh, the end of January, so one month has already gone by in the new year, so we're already uh, uh, super old now, because time's just going too fast. So, uh, what's been going on in your life over there? Oh, you know, just kind of working. Got up early on Tuesday to watch the uh, the Academy Award nominations, which we'll get to those um, later on in the show a little bit. Uh, just kind of working my car was in the shop for a couple days that's that was fun uh my it wasn't anything serious my my um spark plugs were uh kind of expired almost i guess they they just kind of weren't working anymore so i i got those replaced um and otherwise just kind of you know and and you said that i'm not a curmudgeon i think you should all get off my lawn um i'm just kidding that's true i've seen joel (laughs) like sit in a rocking chair on his porch and he doesn't even have a porch that's what's weird like he's, he's yeah. sitting on his porch with like that a tank top on he's drinking uh, a paps blue ribbon at 10 in the morning he's got like uh you, you know his stern look on his face it's just it, it's crazy guys how much he loves clint eastwood so <laughs> oh boy um yeah it's it's just kind of been an uneventful week for me so. Yeah, uh, same here. You know, Tuesday was the Oscar nominations, like you said, so that's always an exciting time. And, of course, I'm not going to really comment on the um, nominations. I'm going to let Joel take over that whole entire section because Terrence and I did that on Tuesday. If you guys yeah, want to know I'll my thoughts it. and Terrence's thoughts, uh, that is on the um, uh, podcast feed. You know, just find it. Uh, it is on there. And then uh, I also did my first, like, mini review for you guys because I told you guys I'm going to review every single thing. Uh, that I get 
uh, coming my way. Uh, but if it's on the actual podcast episode, I'm going to wait until the actual episode. But if I do anything uh, beyond that during the week, I will share it with you guys. So my first one was Stan and Ollie, um, the one about Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy, the comedy duo from the uh, late 20s to mid-50s. And um, that was a delightful little movie. I, I like that one quite a bit. So I can't that, I can't wait to catch up with that one. I, I missed it in theaters, um and I'm just waiting until it comes home, but it's yeah, uh, it, yeah, I can't wait. Well it, it would kind of remind me of uh what you and I were talking about with the old man and the gun where you just walk out of that movie going, That was delightful. I like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, there's it's really harmless. Um is it, you know, shown through a brief window of time in their history? Sure. And I wish there was a little bit more, but I think for what we are given, I liked it. So um, yeah, 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 and then of course, uh, finally, after months and months, I know Joel's gonna be finally uh, happy that I, I can stop talking about it now. But um, uh, my girlfriend and I finally finished uh, Game of Thrones, so we are ready for April. And I still don't know half of the characters' names, but uh, that's okay. Um, <laughs> we we are good to go. At least I know the overall like story and the premise so i'm good i you know some characters can kind of float in and out of the scenes of like i don't even remember that person um but it's just uh it's absolutely funny that i have to turn to her almost every 10 seconds and be like who was that again she's like that was from season three episode three uh minute mark 22 minutes and i'm like i don't even remember that so um yeah so we finally finished that and uh just kind of going down our tv list uh you know throughout the week and got a couple screenings coming up uh, this week that should be pretty fun. I got uh, Miss Bala uh, for you guys, uh, which is actually our review for next week. And then uh, Thursday is the uh, screening of Alita Battle Angel, so that oh, should be really? uh, okay. pretty pretty fun. Um, so yeah, uh, that is what's going on in my life. And so Joel, you know, every single week uh, there are trailers that drop, and I feel like we should discuss them because all these are are family-friendly adventures, and I feel like that would be appropriate since we're going to be talking about the kid who, who would be king. So starting off our family-friendly uh, trailers, we have Nancy Drew and The Hidden Staircase. Now, uh, I was never like a Nancy Drew you know, fan growing up. Like I was aware of the books. I was aware of the media that involved that character. Um I just really never got into it, so it's nothing against the movie or the character. Just, I, I never got into it. But this one uh, stars Sophia Lillis as the uh, title mm. character, and you know she's exploded from It, Chapter 1, of course, Chapter 2 she's got coming out this year, and she was in uh, Sharp Objects last year playing the younger Amy Adams, which, by the way, that's literally the perfect casting because they look similar and she's and now she's playing the younger version of the character being played by um jessica chastain in it right so. right so <laughs> she, she, she's basically gonna play the younger version of every redhead in hollywood um but no seriously Bryce dallas howard she's coming for you i'm <laughs> seriously she I, I mean if you can kind of squint your eyes a little bit she kind of looks like her but she looks more like amy adams so it was perfect casting but um this one uh tells the story of nancy drew and they uh, go into a house and there's something kind of eerie with the house. There's a there's a mystery behind it. There's uh, some family history that they're going to kind of dive into. And there's something in, um, you know, the staircase. And, of course, she's interacting with her friends and stuff. Y- you know, it looks charming. Um, it's not anything that appeals to me. But I think 
with the addition of a Sophia Lillis, I think you have the opportunity to have a really good actress, an up-and-coming actress, take on kind of a, a smaller franchise like this. And I think that's um, kind of perfect. Because in, in the trailer, you know, she is determined, she is smart, she is lovable, she is snarky. Like, she's just a really well-rounded um, character, and she kind of brings uh, a bit of an edge to her, and uh, I really appreciate that. So, a, a trailer that I'm not, like, jumping up and down going, hey, Joel, I can't wait to see this in March, but if you're asking me, like, how it was as a trailer, you know, it's it's good. You know, it's, you know it, the target audience is there, and I'm sure this trailer played in front of uh, the kid who would be king, probably, um, since that's kind of, like, its target demographic. Um, I wouldn't know because I saw it at um, uh, an advanced screening, so I have no idea how that played out. Um, okay, so the next trailer. Now, these are all family-friendly. I just want to keep that in mind. All family-friendly, PG or below. So just get ready for it. The next one is the Beach Bum, and this one is the restricted uh, Red Band trailer. Um, I'm just kidding. Nancy Drew was literally the only uh, family-friendly one, and the rest are going to be like, I kind thought of that like, you were building up to the yeah, beach bum. Yeah. Um, okay, so the beach bum. Uh, first of all, the the poster dropped, and it looks like a uh, glorious acid trip, uh, which is perfect because that's kind of what McConaughey's character in the movie is. And so I really love the kind of like just vibrant poster that they put out. Um, okay, so if you guys don't know what the beach bum is, McConaughey plays a stoner named Moondog, and he kind of just lives his life. You know, he parties, he smokes, he drinks. He's also a writer, and so he, um, we get a better expansion on the story. Like, he's trying to write the next best thing, and we kind of just see him kind of float around life. I love the cast. We have Isla Fisher. We have Snoop Dogg. We have Martin Lawrence. We have Zac Efron, Jonah Hill. You, this is a better um, assortment of cast people than uh, definitely Spring Breakers, so I'll give Harmony Corinne that. But the reason why I wanted to talk about this trailer is because Joel and I before he went on his uh you know streak of not watching trailers uh the first trailer dropped for that movie and it was more of like a tonal trailer to show us like what the movie is shot like and the kind of overall feeling of it this was like full on we get to know the character we get to know a little bit of the story and we get to see some interactions between him and the supporting cast and you know what as someone that did not like Spring Breakers, and that was the first movie to kick off my um, uh, my critic hobby career, if you will, because that was my first ever press screening, I got to tell you, the Beach Bum trailer is great. I, I, I absolutely loved it. it. It was one of those things to where, you know, going into it, I'm like, okay, it's Harmony Corinne. I didn't care for Spring Breakers. Um, but this one, I think, McConaughey is like the selling ticket. It's almost like if you took James Franco's character from Spring Breakers and focused a movie around that person, but for some weird reason, McConaughey can sell this kind of uh, aloof, drunk, high person, but also have a, an extreme amount of heart to him, oddly enough, even though he's kind of crass and um, very uh, sexually explicit around people. It's just, it's crazy to know that, like, Everything he's doing is, um, you know, something you you would never do in real life, kind of like out in the open. But for some weird reason, he can kind of sell it. And I, I don't know. I like the whole vibe of the trailer. It was kind of funny. Uh, there was a scene where, <laughs> you 
he's talking to Martin Lawrence and uh, uh, they're both doing cocaine. And uh, Martin's like, uh, hold on, I got to give cocaine to my parrot. And he just turns and gives the parrot cocaine. I'm like, this movie is ridiculous. But you know what? I am along for the ride. Um, so please give me, give me, give me. So definitely uh, a, a trailer that to a movie I'm looking forward to, given the fact that I did not like the previous work from him. The next well, one. I'm, ex- I'm excited for it. I'll, I'll, I'll get into something later, but um, I'm excited for this one. I haven't watched the trailer or anything yet, but right. obviously – but I'm excited for one thing particularly, and that is for potentially the first good movie that Martin Lawrence has starred in in 16 years. Yeah, it's, um, it's been a while. And that for was him. Bad Boys. That was Bad Boys Two, which I think is amazing. Uh, huge fan of Bad Boys Two. Full disclosure. Um, yeah, because otherwise <laughs> it's the Big Mama sequels and Wild Hogs. Right, and, and it's like that's ugh. not the movies we want to remember him for. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he he looks like uh, um, just like a drunk sailor or like a drunk captain mm-hmm. you would see like on a cruise ship or something. It's it's kind of funny okay. the way he's dressed up, but uh, I, uh, I, I highly enjoyed um, his little cocaine bit at the end. Okay, so this next trailer I did not want to talk about. Because it, it, it looks awful. The humor does not stick. I can't believe they got Jim Gaffigan, Alec Baldwin, Salma Hayek, Joe Manganiello. I cannot believe they got all these people to be in this movie. The only reason I'm doing this trailer is not for you lovely listeners, because I, I, I love you guys to pieces. It's actually for the love of my life, Joel Copeland. Because Joel has stated it on the interwebs, and he has um, just said it out in the open that he loves grown-ups too. So I figure anything that Fred Wolf is involved in, I'm assuming Joel's going to get excited for. So I had to talk about this. But okay, (laughs) right? I had to talk about it because it is directed by him, it is co-written by him, and it's not from a Happy Madison production. That is what's strange about it because he's worked with Adam Sandler on I don't even know how many movies at this point, but this one. Is called is called a uh, drunk parents, and this one focuses on Alec Baldwin and Salma Hayek. They are a married couple, and this is. I'm going to go ahead and just read the uh, uh, synopsis uh, for you guys. Two drunk parents attempt to hide their ever increasing financial difficulties from their daughter and social circle through elaborate neighborhood sch- uh, schemes. What is this? Um, it is a trailer that. Wait, try- read that. Read that one more time. Sorry, I read that one more time. I'm 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 trying to take in every word. Okay, two drunk parents. That that's that's how it starts out. Two drunk okay. parents. Which, to be a, to be honest with you, I have no idea why them being drunk has anything to do with the movie, the poster, or the title, or even the <laughs> synopsis. Because they drink like maybe a glass of wine in the trailer, and I'm like, okay, all right. Two drunk parents attempt to hide their ever-increasing financial difficulties from their daughter and social circle through elaborate neighborhood schemes. They're sort of like blockers, except with a different motive. With with drunk parents, apparently. Yeah. So, um, okay. it, so right now, uh, with 80 ratings, it has a 4.8 out of 10, and <laughs> most of the user reviews are one star or below, and... It pretty much shows. Um, it, the trailer's awful. It reminds me... 
like I, I know that like Joel likes the the stupid humor, and I do too. But there's just something about this that t- turned me off to it. It just it was not funny. It everyone was trying too hard, and it was so surreal to see a movie that plays out like a Happy Madison production, but it isn't a Happy Madison production. I felt like my soul left my body, and I was in a different universe because it plays out exactly what Adam Sandler would probably produce. But good Lord, does this trailer suck? It's, it's not, I don't think it's funny at all. Maybe this will be one of those surprise hits that Joel just absolutely loves. And he thinks I'm crazy, but I, I did not think of anything of it. And, um, the fact that it's called drunk parents kind of annoys me because they weren't really drunk in the trailer. So, uh, unless I missed it. Um, so a little, little, uh, perturbed about that. So, yeah, Joel, that was for you. That was totally for you. Um, I don't think Thank any of our listeners present. would have cared about this. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. These next two, one of which I, I really like and one of which I really, really hate. Um, and I, I, I'm a little um, kind of angry at this one. Um, but I'll say that one for last. The one I actually like is the one from uh, Joel's really good with the pronunciations, uh, director of Mommy. Uh, Xavier Dolan. Yes. So his next film, his follow-up after the critically acclaimed Mommy, which I really, really, really loved, uh, is The Death and Life of John F. Donovan. Now, this one tells the story of uh, an American TV star, and it focuses a decade after his death. And then there's a young actor who um, kind of tells the world that him and this uh other actor, this older actor, have been pen pals in their entire lives and have been writing letters to each other. And uh, John F. Donovan is played by Kit Harrington, uh, speaking of Game of Thrones. And then the younger uh, boy that is kind of like his pen pal is played by Jacob Tremblay. So, um, yeah, I you know, this is a, a really well-stacked uh, cast. We have Natalie Portman playing the younger version of Tremblay's mother, then you have uh, Susan Sarandon, who's playing an uh, older version, you have uh, Tandy Newton, you have Sarah Gadden, uh, you have uh, Michael Gambon, Kathy Bates, it's just, this is such a crazy amount of people to be in this movie, and so the overall trailer, I really I really like, I've heard mixed things from it since it premiered at TIFF last year, um, and right now, as far as I know, it does not have a US release date. Because um, the only thing that it lists is it comes out in Italy uh, March 7th and it comes out in France uh, March 13th. And so I, I don't know if it's going to ever reach here, but if it does, um, I do like the trailer. It it, it didn't really blow me away, but I, I feel like there was enough there and a lot of strong performances just from the clips that I saw that um, – uh, looks like it could set itself up to be a really good time. So uh, it looks like a really heavy movie, <laughs> just like Ma- Mommy, um, in terms of uh, thematics and just emotion. And so prepare to bring your tissues, probably. Um, but yeah, this movie kind of has like a mixed um, approach to it. I mean, for, if you want to look at meta uh, meta score from all these critics that saw it, we have a 42, 33, 70, 30, 30, 25, 20. So actually it looks like it's more negative, but you know, from the ratings on IMDb, it looks like it's mixed. And so I don't know, this could be, um, um, 
one of those mixed movies, but I enjoy the trailer uh, as a trailer and uh, just from story uh, interest. Okay. Uh, just just to <clears throat> kind of prove that it's kind of all over the place in terms of the critical uh, reception, I've only heard of two from two people I know about the movie um, who saw it, you know, just somewhere. And um, one of those poop, one of those people loved it. One of those people didn't like it at all. So it's just <laughs> literally uh, the only the only stuff I've heard is right down the middle. Uh, right. It, it, so just funny that that happens. Um, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So it, it, it's just, you know. Joel and I, I'm sure, will see it at some point, but right now it doesn't even have a U.S. release date. So, And, and that actually um, is okay with me because the trailer was in French uh, with some of the um, titles and stuff. So I was like, oh, okay, so this is more of like a trailer for, for France. Totally down for that. Um, okay. This next trailer. You know, when Joel and I talked about the prospect of uh, Zac Efron taking on Ted Bundy, I'm totally okay with that. I, I love when, um, you know, actors who have grown up some, from an innocent youth can just continue to do different things and really kind of push the envelope uh, as actors or actresses. And Zac Efron, he's not new to this. Like, you know, he does his raunchy comedies. He's done some kind of smaller dramas. Like, he's a really good actor when he's given the right stuff. And I, I, I enjoyed looking forward to him playing Ted Bundy. I, I, I was hoping that it would take it in a more kind of psychological route, really get inside the mind of the psychopath and uh, have him really um, do a career-defying performance. The problem is this trailer sucks, and I absolutely hate the the way uh, it uses the specific song choice. It makes it seem like a, a, a grungy, dark comedy rather than like a, like a serious drama. Like... This is the first time we've ever seen a story about Ted Bundy portraying like him and his wife and his kid. Because usually it's about you know the grisly stuff he did, rightfully so. But we're gonna get to see family life. We're gonna get to see the grisly stuff. We're gonna get, we're gonna get to see um, the full gamut of this this man. But this trailer is awful. I don't know who approved this song choice. I don't know who approved the the slap on graphics in your face. But it just the tone in this trailer is so off that it it, uh, it makes me turned off on the movie. And I don't like the title. It's way too long. Uh, extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Way too long of a, a title for a movie. Um, and I realize you're not going to just call it Bundy. Um, I totally get that. But uh, this is one of those things to where you could easily shorten it or change it to something else. Or maybe tra- just like yeah, like lop off extremely wicked or whatever. yeah, just like just, just say shockingly evil, evil and vile. vile. That's yeah, a, that's th- a fun title. Yeah, I was fixing to say like that has more of a punch to it than yeah. adding you know another you know phrase another or two before it. Yeah. yeah, so um, I I don't like the title. It's too long, and the trailer in terms of a trailer, it is terrible. Am I still looking forward to the movie? Yes, I want to see Zac Efron uh, kind of go to those dark. Uh, places as an actor but it just um the, i'm telling you i i, I kind of want joel to break his code and watch it because i have a feeling that he would absolutely hate the tone in this trailer because when you hear about this movie you're like oh this is going to be um uh like a like a dark drama like this is what we're getting it's gonna be you know about a murderous psychopath but no 
we get something that plays out like Shaun of the Dead, and we're like, why? Why does it have this this tonal inconsistency with your subject matter and how the trailer's presented? So whoever marketed this movie is just terrible. And hopefully we can hear some good things coming out of Sundance because it's going to play there. But for right now, in terms of marketing's sake, it is awful. So that is it for the trailers, guys. My favorite one is... Um, uh, I probably would go with uh, The Beach Bum. Um, then I would go Death and Life of John F. Donovan. Then Nancy Drew. Then Drunk Parents, because at least it knows what it wants to be. And then the very long Ted Bundy movie that I will not want to talk about again. So, uh, Joel, or um, besides The Beach Bum, is there any other trailers that I talked about that kind of pique your interest? Well, obviously the Nancy Drew movie. No, I'm just yeah, kidding. absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I would say that that just on the basis of how you described it, I'm certainly interested in seeing extremely shocking, whatever it's called. Uh, <laughs> you're so right. I, I have no idea what it's called anymore because I can't remember right, it's the, just, the, it's too long. <laughs> the order of the words. Um, extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Uh, there we go. Um, I'm interested in that. I, I you know, I'm not. I'm not interested in watching the trailer. Uh, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep my streak going. But can, can you yeah, promise it's, me it's, after you watch the movie, go watch the trailer for it? Please, I will. I will do Please. that. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm not I'm not opposed to that. Just just watching trailers before movies. Right. Um. So real quick though about the beach bum. So yes. you know that you know that meme that's going around of there's two girls and a guy. The guy is looking at a new girl. The old girl is kind of having the the surprised face or whatever. Where he's looking at the 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 new girl's butt or whatever, and has that it's it's I don't know how to describe memes. That's kind of the point of memes is to look at them. But do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I think so. I'm not really like up to date with meme culture as some people, but I know this, Joel is way more this one's, uh, knowledgeable. Th- well, this was this is like two years old or something. I think it's been. I mean, I should say it's going. It's it's been going on for a couple of years. Anyway, um, the setup is basically there's um, there's a couple that are walking in one direction. A girl's walking in the in the opposite direction. Oh, that camera. one, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, you are the guy, right? Um, the beach bum trailer is the girl walking in the in the opposite toward the camera, um, and your dislike for Spring Breakers right. is the old girl who's shocked by you. Um, and is looking at you with disgust. So that's right. that's just what I think because you have been so, you know, after that movie, kind of been so anti Harmony Corinne, um, and you know, it's just it's 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 a it's a betrayal, man. It's a betrayal. You have to you have to think that the trailer is awful. No, you, you no, must it's to, it's keep, not. to keep to keep the to keep the uh, <laughs> the world the 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 kind of the 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 core of the earth spinning. That's that's what that's what you have to do. Well, um, I guess no, the I'm Earth is going to explode. <laughs> Sorry. The core, too, and it's about you uh, liking the Beach Bum trailer. Okay, so uh, anyway, um, that's the one that I'm definitely most excited for is the Beach Bum. But in terms of just interested, I'm definitely interested in, in the de- in the Ted Bundy movie. I think um, – you know, I'm, f- I'm fascinated by the whole story and um, so to, to see a movie's uh, uh, you know, kind of – be about him trying to just in some way trying to uh 
you know, showed that he was kind of a regular person in society to some degree uh, when he wasn't killing people. It's certainly interesting. It's certainly an interesting uh, tech take. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I I, I like I like Zac Efron. Uh, he was very nearly sixteen for Neighbors Two. Um, it, it was I think he fell off somewhere near the end, but he was he was near that because he's he's really good when he wants to be, and um, I, I'm you know like he's in the Beach Bum. I'm I'm excited to see that uh, from him. And uh, he also was in this movie that I thought kind of got a bad rap from a few years ago, and he was really good in it. We Are Your Friends, uh, the EDM movie, um, where he plays an EDM musician. Uh, and I thought he was good. So he's good. It's going to be interesting to see him in that mode. Um, like you said, the dark, kind of the darker turn. So we shall see. Um, all right, guys. So... There wasn't very much news that dropped this week. Uh, <laughs> let's just let's just say that. Um, you know, before we get into this, we're not going to be talking about the Brian Singer stuff. We're not a um, we're not doing that anymore. We're not a tabloid magazine. So, you know, I don't know how he keeps getting work or why he's staying on Red Sonia, but we're not here to talk about that today. We are here to talk about something that. Um, I'm wondering, because I haven't actually talked to Chase about this, I don't know what his feelings are in terms of this particular franchise spinoff, but guys, there's a Fast and the Furious spinoff coming. I don't know if this is a series or what. Uh, it's not very... Um, it's not very clear whether or not these three writers are doing the same movie, or if they're going to be like a spinoff series and all three of them are you know, each of them is writing one movie. I, I'm not entirely sure what, what is going on, but there's an all-female uh, Fast and Furious franchise on the way um, and, and to some degree, and Vin Diesel is going to be producing it with his partner, Samantha Vincent. Um, and they've gotten three writers together, um, either to do one movie or, like I said, I don't know if it's maybe three movies or just maybe they'll team up in some way for all three, you know, like two at a time or whatever. I don't know. But Nicole Perlman of Guardians of the Galaxy, she co-wrote the first one. She's also uh, did work on Captain Marvel. And um, uh, Lindsay Beer, who did the Silver Sable movie that's coming out, and also Geneva Robertson-Dore, who uh, wrote just recently wrote uh, Tomb Raider and, is also, and also worked on Captain Marvel with, uh, with Perlman. So... A uh, nice selection of writers. You know, we haven't seen a lot of their work yet, but clearly they're kind of making waves uh, based on what they've done for various studios, and people are impressed by that. So that's pretty cool um, that they're that that they're doing this, uh, and I think that it's a good idea to kind of do this because there's a really weird attitude this series seems seems to have about women. I think um, they're either objects or they're causes for drama for the male characters, which that's pretty much all they exist for in my mind. And I, I think that that's going to be interesting to see them kind of course correct that. Um, clearly, you know, getting some some female voices in there, that's that's going to happen. And I think that that's a pretty cool idea. You know, I don't, I'm don't i not a fan of the Fast and the Furious franchise. I've I made that clear. Um, Chase has mocked me endlessly and, and, and rather rudely. I'm just kidding uh, <laughs> about that. I think the only good movie is Furious 7, but... Um, still, you know, if they can do this and kind of, 
course correct that whole thing and and come up with a good product i'm i'm fine with that and i'm, I'm excited about uh, a female-led action franchise coming out that's that's pretty cool uh, especially behind the camera and i'm i'm assuming they're also going to be going for female directors they haven't really announced that but i i can't imagine that's not in the plans um so yeah i'm i'm uh looking looking forward to that uh chase we haven't talked about this but are you a fan of this whole concept? Okay, so here's the deal. Um, anything that has to do with Fast and Furious, whether it be television show, movies, spinoffs, it is absolute, 100% Teflon for me. I could care less what they do because I will watch it regardless. Um, this sounds great. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, uh, we didn't really talk about it, in our anticipated episode, but I'm looking forward to the Hobbs and Shaw movie uh, coming out this year too. So yeah, any spinoff with this ridiculous uh, franchise I'm all down for. And you know, <laughs> this is uh, uh, taking a, a different approach and I'm always down for uh, making it more diverse. And so bring it on and I will still continue. If people think um, because you're excited for it, I'm going to let up on you. No, I'm still going to mock you. We're, we're going to be reviewing <laughs> fast nine we're going to be reviewing fast 10 and we're going to, we're going to be serious about it and i'm going to have to get on to joel for disliking it, it and just be being uh angry the entire time he's reviewing it but we're going to review those so get ready for that and what was it like 2020 and 2022 so uh exciting stuff but yeah i'm excited for this okay well i guess i'll just have to uh resign myself to the fact that more mockery is coming yeah um, Okay, fine, fine, do that. All right, that's really the only bit of news uh, that's not casting-related because I always put casting together. Uh, so now we're going into the casting corner. Um, and there's really only three things that, that came out. Like I said, not much news this week, guys. Uh, a lot of trailers because of Sundance, but not – and some of those will be uh, – I'm sure that Chase will be covering next week. But, yeah, there's not much news. Uh, the first bit of casting news is certainly the biggest bit of casting news. Um, so I don't know why this is still in production considering its star is mired in controversy and, and all of that, but there seems to be sort of a pick and choose when it comes to some of these controversies, like destroying careers. Anyway, Jared Leto is going to be in that Morbius movie from Sony. It's, uh, based on a Spider-Man villain and they've got a- another person going to be in this. Um, so I don't know who he's playing. I, I don't think it's been actually like announced yet, but um anyway uh matt smith who was the doctor i think three doctors ago from doctor who i think because he was yeah he was before uh peter capaldi who was before the um the current one i forgot her name uh i don't follow doctor who anyway he was the he was the he was three doctors ago and he's kind of taken a lot on some interesting roles since then you know he's on uh jessica jones i know um and he's – at least I think that's him. Or is that David Tennant? I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> he's taken on some interesting roles. He was in um, uh, Ryan Gosling's movie Lost Rivers. Had a really weird role in that. Uh, he's done some interesting stuff. So this is certainly the biggest um, in terms – oh, he's on The Crown. That's what it is. Um, the Crown. I knew it was some sort of Netflix show. Uh, and uh, yeah, so – interesting actor certainly very intense um and i'm interested to see what he can bring to that but you know 
maybe soon kind of recast the main role if you don't want to completely drown your movie in uh, in controversy even more so. Um, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited for the people who are behind it, uh, particularly the producers, even though. They've written some pretty crappy screenplays. Uh, Masazama and Burke Sharpless create, uh, co-created the Netflix series Lost in Space, which I watched most of. I haven't, I haven't finished that first season, um, but really striking work. And they they did that, and of course, Avi Arad's behind it. So uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, vaguely interested at least. Um, oh, Terminator Genesis is what Matt Smith also did. He had a he had a bit a bit role in that. Um, Joel, you should not. Speak of that movie's name again. Terminator Genitals. Uh, <laughs> he was in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Apparently, I don't remember that because that movie left my memory as soon as I saw it. Um, anyway, that's the first bit. You know, whatever. The next bit is really interesting. So there's apparently going to be a Tolkien movie coming out, um, and of course, what I mean by that is that we're taking on the figure J.R.R. Tolkien, writer of the Lord of the Rings trilogy and The Hobbit, Silmarillion, um, and Nicholas Holt is playing him during the World War One era um, as he kind of, it's a biographical drama, but it's apparently also romantic, uh, and so he's in there, and um, Lily Collins is in there. Uh, it's it's going to speak to his kind of formative years before... Um, before he writes the the famed trilogy, um, and it's also about the experiences that inspire that. Um, so that's really interesting. It sort of has, to me at least, kind of a Shadowlandsy vibe. It's not set within the same period of Tolkien's life as it was, as Shadowlands was about uh, C.S. Lewis's life, but uh, it certainly is going to be in this in a, in a kind of a similar vein. Uh, there's, you know, kind of following this fantasy author as he kind of deals with the romance and and some of the stuff that inspired writing a, a famous series. It's it's similar, set in a different period, of course, within this particular author's life, but I'm excited. And Nicholas Holt, good actor. He just recently killed it in The Favorite. I thought that he was excellent in that, and uh, he's had some interesting roles all over the place uh, throughout the years, so... Um, very, very excited for that. Um, and then the last bit is that Nicolas Cage uh, is going to be reteaming with the producers from um, uh, from Mandy uh, to star in a movie about uh, adapted from an H.P. Lovecraft horror story called Color Out of Space. And uh, it's also going to be directed by a man named Richard Stanley, who... Uh, has not directed anything in 20 years. And the last thing that he directed, I believe, was a movie called Hardware, which is a big uh, cult favorite among a lot of people who um, s seek out really kind of hard-to-find movies. Um, it's, you know, a lot of his movies have, have gone off into the secondary market. So um, this is certainly interesting. Uh, it also has uh, Jolie Richardson, Tommy Chong, uh, yes, that Tommy Chong, um, and Koryanka Kilcher from The New World, uh, the Terrence Malick movie. Um, she played um, Pocahontas in that. And um, yeah, it's interesting. And it's uh, coming from producer Elijah Wood uh, is, is producing this one. He's, of course, good friends with Nicolas Cage. 
So of course he's he's doing that. And um, all right, so Colorado Space is a story of cosmic terror about the gardeners, a family who moves to a remote farmstead in rural New England to escape the hustle of the 21st century. They are busy adapting to their new life when a meteorite crashes into their front yard. The mysterious arrow light seems to melt into the earth, infecting both the land and the properties of space-time with a strange otherworldly color. To their horror, the Gardner family discover that this alien force is gradually mutating every life form that it touches, including them. And yeah, this premise is awesome. This is exactly my kind of really super dark, um, uh, really, really super dark uh, sci-fi horror kind of thing that for instance, Mandy was super out there, crazy, wacko movie um, that I liked quite a bit. And uh, yeah. Oh, the other thing that Richard Stanley uh, directed. So um, do you remember hearing about uh, the island of Dr. Moreau? Uh, yeah. 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 The one with Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer. And it's really a, it was a horrible, horrifying production that was uh, that apparently like um, Val Kilmer was never the same or something like that. Marlon Brando is the one where he forced people to like, you know, speak the dialogue into his earpiece. He had, um, Val Kilmer wear like the words on a card, like taped to his head or something that he would read. And anyway, it was just a really like ill-fated production. Well, Stanley was involved with that movie for a brief period of time before John Frankenheimer took, took over. So he hasn't directed anything since that. And uh, so that's it's kind of coming back from that, and so that's going to be interesting uh, to see to see him kind of come back into the directing fold with with something with Nicolas Cage, <laughs> famously kind of short-tempered person. So um, yeah, I'm 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 excited. That's my favorite bit of uh, casting news is just Nicolas Cage par- paired with that director and those producers on a on a project like this uh, give it to me now so i i can't wait for for color out of space all right what are your thoughts on all of these yeah i mean the whole matt smith thing i embarrassingly uh haven't seen that many things with him in it and that includes the crown and doctor who it just i don't watch those shows and i've only ever seen him in the terminator movie so i want to try to forget that but you know good for him nicholas holt you're so right after watching him in uh, The Favor, I'm like, I just want more Nicholas Holt stuff. Uh, but he's always been good, and so he, he's great. But my favorite piece of news is exactly what yours is. I am one of those people that uh, I just kind of love Nicholas Cage regardless of what he does. Even if it is something like as bad as a mom and dad or something as surprisingly uh, good as a Mandy, like he's just so all over the place. And that's, what's kind of refreshing about him is oddly enough, he's never consistent and that's what makes him fun to watch. Um, so him reteaming up with, uh, the person behind Mandy, like that, that's amazing. I, I mean, uh, you know, Mandy was just one of those things where going into it. Like I, I knew like, okay, is this going to be like a mom and dad performance? Like, what is it going to be? It was a crazy performance, but the movie was actually good. So, yeah, count me in. All right, folks. Uh, So we are agreed on that. That's my favorite bit of news probably in general uh, that we talked about, including the the Fast and Furious thing. So, um, all right. Now we're going to move on to my Oscar beat. This is the last of the season. Uh, I mean, I guess until maybe we do like a – 
uh, sort of an autopsy on the actual uh, broadcast, but we're going to talk briefly about some of the big surprises. Uh, now, I've kind of divided these into two, the surprising inclusions and the surprising omissions, and this won't take long, guys. Don't worry. Um, but I did want to talk about, two the fact that generally these are kind of boring nominees. Uh, it, it's really it's, – it's kind of an uneventful year in terms of looking at them as a whole. Really, there were only you – know, of the feature films, only about 35 nominated, something like that, um, which is kind of depressing uh, when you think about it. Um, but there are some surprises in here, and I think that you, know, you go from the minor ones, stuff like Christopher Robin getting into visual effects or um, – uh, a Quiet Place getting into sound editing, things that I knew that were on the bubble, but I didn't think that they were going to actually happen. Um, and, you know, something like um, The Place Where Lost Things Go being nominated from uh, Mary Poppins Returns rather than Triple Light Fantastic, which I thought would be more of the Oscar thing. Um, certainly glad to see that because The Place Where Lost Things Go is a much better song. Um and then, you know, something like uh, Isle of Dogs actually being, being nominated for Best Original Score. I, I didn't know if that would happen, but I'm glad to see that it did because great score. Um, and, you know, you look at something like uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs showing up anywhere, first of all, because I didn't have it in any of my predictions anywhere. But it came out uh, and it showed up in uh, Best um, what was it? Costume Design, which is very warranted. Best Original Song, which is awesome. Uh, the, the song that um, uh, that Tim Blake Nelson's character sings in his uh, segment, and that's really cool. When a, when a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings. And also in Best Adapted Screenplay, because, of course, it, it adapted two of the short stories uh, that were included um, from Jack London and Stuart Edward White, uh, and then also some short stories that they that the Coens themselves wrote. So really good screenplay because it's so it's so cohesive. All of the pieces fit. All of the stories seem to go together uh, thematically. So really uh, nice little mention there. And um, you know those are kind of in, uh, surprise some surprising inclusions. And of course the big one was Marina De Tavira uh, showing up in Best Supporting Actress for Roma, a performance that you know it's interesting. It's really a good performance. I don't think that I was quite paying attention to it like apparently the Oscar voters were, because I was all about watching Yalitza Aparicio in the in the main role. And um, meanwhile, there was this really good performance kind of playing out concurrently to hers. And so I probably should have thought that maybe somebody would give that some love this season, but it hasn't been shown any love that I know of that I know of. And so there was no there was no pre precursors, nothing keeping it in my head. And thus, you know, to have her nominated just goes to show sometimes the acting branch goes their own way. And, uh, you know, like any other branch here. So really cool um, inclusion there. And, uh, yeah, some, some people were surprised, of course, by some of the other things. Uh, Never Look Away, the, the German film uh, showing up in Best Cinematography, is surprising to a lot of people who aren't paying attention to the name attached. And the name attached is Caleb Deschanel, who's been nominated like five times before this. So, of course, they were probably paying attention to him. He's um, the father of Zoe and Emily Deschanel. And he shot uh, – the last time he was nominated was for The Passion of the Christ uh, 15 years ago. So um, certainly – or 14 years ago, I should say. So certainly, you know, he's a big name. Uh, the other ones were Willem Dafoe and At Eternity's Gate, which I 
I foresaw that possibly happening, uh, and it did. And then, um, you know, likewise, the thing that I was telling you to take to take note of, Pavel Pawlikowski showing up in Best Director for Cold War. I knew that it would probably happen. Uh, so yeah, those were some of the surprising inclusions uh, that I thought that I thought were rather delightful. And of course, there were others that I wasn't so you know pleased by. For instance, Green Book being nominated for Best Editing. It's well edited, generally speaking. It it moves along, but nominating that instead of First Man is absolute just it's malarkey. It's it's ridiculousness. Um, and the same thing with Bohemian Rhapsody for me. So I, I just yeah that brings us into the omissions and that was one of the big ones for me. I, I thought that it was a done deal that first man would get in and it did not. Uh, it's ridiculous. Um, and you look elsewhere, um, stuff like uh, first man missing in best cinematography. I thought that that was kind of uh, weird. I would have traded, I think probably a star is born for, for first man. Um, and then something like, uh, won't you be my neighbor missing in best, a documentary feature, which, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people are up in arms about this. I know that of the five nominees, the most traditional, traditionally structured in terms of just, you know, here's what happened, here's what happened, here's what happened is definitely RBG. I haven't seen it, but I know that it takes a similar structural approach as Won't You Be My Neighbor uh, and stuff like Life Itself uh, from a few years ago, the one about Ebert, which also missed. And I think that what happens is the documentary branch, which is very, very, uh, it's incredibly singular in its in terms of what it goes for. I think that what they did was they nominated one movie that is traditionally structured because otherwise you have Free Solo, which is not, which is sort of um, kind of slice of lifey in terms of the fact that it's about this guy's. You know, it tells his life story, but mostly in flashback, and it's mostly about how he wants to make this climb. Hale County this morning, this evening is an actual like experimental essay, which I've heard is really uh, fascinating to watch. Uh, Mining the Gap is uh, takes place in two time periods, and it definitely doesn't take the traditional structure because um, they play concurrently and they come together in a montage at the end. That doesn't happen a lot. Um, and then of Fathers and Sons, I know is sort of similar. Um, in a way to um, to minding the gap, so you know, in, in terms of how it structures uh, what it's what it's talking about, and I haven't I haven't seen that one either, but um, yeah, so that was certainly a big a, a big exclusion or omission, whatever you want to call it. I don't want to call it a snub because that's a snarky kind of smug term to me, but anyway, um, so there's that, and uh, the big one was. Um, uh, Bradley Cooper missing in Best Director, which a lot of people thought would happen. Uh, however, I will say, to add one more thing to the fun inclusion thing. All right, so we have Spike Lee, who is finally a nominee for Best Picture and Director with Black Klansman. Um, he's never been nominated for Best Director before. Uh, Do the Right Thing. Or was it... Um, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't – was it he was nominated for Best Director and not for Best Picture. That's what it was, the other way around. So um, that's, you know, kind of uh, them making up for that. But then you also have, you know, somebody like Adam McKay. Um, really interesting choice there. But then you have these three others 
Yorgos Lanthimos, who's a Greek director, he's working in the English language. But then you have Pablo Pawlikowski and Alfonso Cuaron being nominated in the, in the same category. And both of their movies are nominated in Best Foreign Language Film. That is the first time that two directors of foreign language film nominees have been nominated in Best Director since 1976, um, which is pretty insane. Uh, back when Lena Mueller was, I think, the first female director nominee for Seven Beauties, and I think Ingmar Bergman... I think it was Ingmar Bergman for something, or maybe it was um, Truffaut. I'm, I'm, I can't quite remember, but um, yeah, in any case, it's a rare thing to happen. Um, and uh, let's see, what else was there? Um, there was one other thing that I wanted to talk about. Um No, never mind. I think I covered all of the stuff. Um, oh, the the surprising omission to me in Best Visual Effects because of the critical backing behind the movie was Black Panther. But I'm glad that it missed because, you know, we've talked about this before. There's some, there's some shoddy work in there. Uh, I have a feeling that in terms of the least likely winner um, in that category... I have a feeling it kind of flitted in, a, in and out in the voting and finally fell in, but that was probably Ready Player One. Um, I read a big report on the visual effects branch showing or being shown like you know the um, the various showcases for the movies, and I know that Ready Player One and Black Panther were the two that were kind of people thought that they were fine presentations but weren't super impressed. Um, those can, those things can go pretty, you know, unexpectedly. Uh, apparently when Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom was still on the shortlist and was being shown, people left and went to the bathroom and didn't watch it. Um, so that just, you know, goes to show, you know, that's what happens. Um, it's interesting to, to follow that kind of thing. Uh, if you can find those, those types of news stories, uh, somewhere, but, in any case, uh, we also have to talk about the big elephant in the room, and I'm sorry to go here, but guys, Bohemian Rhapsody was nominated in Best Picture, and Chase is going to be like, no, Joel, stop talking about that, but guys, directed by Brian Singer, and they couldn't nominate If Beale Street Could Talk, they couldn't nominate Cold War, they couldn't nominate Shoplifters, they couldn't nominate Can You Ever Forgive Me? They had to go with this one. I, I just I just don't think that that's, you know, Ballad of Buster Scruggs is in screenplay. They could have gone for that. That would have been an interesting choice. They had to go with the really, really, really typical, typically structured bio biography that uh, papers over a lot of the, the different aspects of um, the lives of these people is outright, you know, factually incorrect. Um, it, it just doesn't look good, and I think that I think that this is going to be something that the Academy has to learn from. Don't don't nominate a movie like this um, just because at the end of the it, it just it just felt it just felt a bit a bit uh, bogus to me. Um, I'll just say that, and I just I just I don't understand how it got to where it is. Um, but 
anyway, maybe that's maybe that's me not liking the movie talking, but I have a feeling that it's not. I think that there's something more going on there in terms of uh, what this what this means for the academy. I, I just I don't like how it looks. And uh, anyway, so soapbox over. Uh, Chase covered this pretty covered this all pretty well on the show on Tuesday. So um, Chase, do you have anything to add? Uh, no. I mean, with the whole Bohemian Rhapsody thing, I just I'm just tired of talking about it. With I mean, I you know I don't think it should ever be nominated for any awards. To be quite frank with you, and I said that on our show when we talked about the movie. I don't. Besides Rami, which you and I disagree with. Besides that, I I'm cool with it not being nominated for anything else, and that includes Best Picture. So that one is baffling. Considering the fact, like, take the Brian Singer thing out of it, but just given the fact that, like, Widows or Beale Street or uh, First Man, all these movies were kind of shut out for that, and it's like, uh, you know, you could have swapped it out for something better. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so many other movies, guys. It's just, anyway. All right, so to move up, to move past all that, let's get into our review of The Kid Who Would Be King. Um, all right, so this one comes from director Joe Cornish of Attack the Block. It's his first movie since then. Uh, kind of sad because we could have been gifted with several of his movies, but, of course, Attack the Block, I don't think that was a huge hit in the U.S., was it? No. Um, yeah, it wasn't. So, um, anyway. It did, it did give us John Boyega, though. It did, yes. That is that is certainly a gift because he went – I think that the first thing – well, the first – Anything that was significant that he did was a, a, a bit of a starring role on 24, uh, Live, Another, Live Another Day, which was came a few years after the actual last season of the show. Yeah, they brought it back for a season, and he was in there. But well, and of course, anyway. like he he's you know co-written like Ant Man and Ten Ten, so he's been active. He just hasn't directed in a while. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I I was on John Boyega. Um, oh, oh and, sorry. And, and then of course he moved to Star Wars, and yeah, Joe Cornish, I think. Yeah, that's right. He co-wrote Tintin, didn't he? I forgot about yeah. that. Um, yeah, that's cool. Um, all right. So anyway, this one stars Lewis Ashbourne Circus, son of Andy, uh, as a kid named uh, Alex who finds out that he is descended from or potentially descended from King Arthur. Um, when he finds – when he's running away from some bullies and he finds Excalibur, the sword, and the stone uh, in a stone. And he pulls it out and um, goes on a big adventure that includes his best friend Betters uh, and some and the and those two bullies ultimately join the troop uh, Lance and Kay. If those names sound familiar. You're almost there. Uh, so, uh, meanwhile, a a very young looking Merlin, played in teenager form by a very funny Angus Emery. Uh, in a star-making role, I think, and um, in his more natural form by Patrick Stewart, uh, informs him of his destiny, and he has to go off and fight Morgana, who was once Merlin's half-sister. She's after the sword for her own reasons, mainly, you know, due to uh, mainly reasons relating to all all-encompassing power. But anyway, um, yes. This is an adventure. It's a fantasy adventure in the tradition of stuff like the Goonies and, you know, all that stuff in the 90s that you 
loved either loved when you were a kid and don't feel so good about now or still love right now because it's nostalgic. Um, this is very much in the tradition of that. So I'll get to my thoughts in a little bit. Uh, Chase, what did you think of The Kid Who Would Be King? Right. So, you know, when we saw the trailers a while back, I was like, okay, cool. It's a PG family film. It's going to cater to kids rather than adults. And, you know, usually with movies like this, a director could swing in either way. They can make the movie appeal to kids but treat them like babies or appeal to kids and treat them more like adults and really kind of craft a movie that can be frightening, can be exciting, and uh, still appeal to a kid demographic and really make it feel like um, they are not uh, being talked down to and being actually treated by treated like young adults. So I watched the movie, and I'm happy to report that I like it. And I, uh, I am one of these people because, uh, you know, Joel and I are the same age and we grew up in the same time period. So we are very well aware of like cheesy 90s movies to where if we look back on them today, like critically from an eye, uh, you know, from today's standpoint, we probably would say they're bad movies. But there's something about those movies that we grew up with as kids that we can still resonate with. And I'll guarantee you, you know, if Joel and I have little hellions running around and we introduce them to movies we grew up with, we would show them those cheesy and probably arguably bad movies. This movie is the same way. I will guarantee you any kid that saw this in the theater with me, they're going to grow up going, yeah, that kid who would be king, not the best movie in the world, but man, I really enjoyed watching it. And it kind of had that same appeal like when Joel and I uh, grew up with, um, you know, speaking of, you know, Sword in the Stone type of movies, like the kid in King Arthur's Court. You know, it was uh, one of those kind of like fantasy kind of family films where it's set in modern day, but then, you know, uh, Fish Out of Water uh, propels Tom and Ian Nicholas to uh, the uh, medieval times. It's just, it's just, when you watch it as a kid, like you just feel like you're a part of, this adventure and you feel like you're a part of this kind of uh, magical event that you're watching. And so from a kid's point of view, I think they're going to love this movie from someone that's almost 30. I still liked it because I think what I was talking about earlier with treating kids like they're young adults, I think that's what Cornish did. Um, He takes the whole sword in the stone mythology, applies it to modern, um, modern times you know you have kids that go to school and we even like touch upon themes with like bullying and stuff and really um just kind of inject this like fantasy spin on it and i thought he did a pretty good job i thought the you know the world building of blending the two was pretty good i thought the special effects well a little iffy sometimes i think for the budget they were that they were given i still found a lot of uh interesting detail that was uh, put upon that with uh, either it be the dead people riding the horses or, you know, Rebecca Ferguson's form at the very end. You know, there was some creativity there, and I really appreciate the medieval kind of fantasy vision that Cornish had. And um, like I said, not low-browing jokes, you know, just really just crafting a movie that doesn't treat kids like they're dumb. Um and speaking of the kids in the movie, I think all of them did a fantastic job. Joel is absolutely correct. 
he was a tad annoying at the beginning, but I I slowly started to fall more in love with him, uh, the young Merlin, because he was so um, definitely like playing up that fish out of water uh, joke, and it never really got old because he was so he was so serious and so stubborn, and like everyone's like, who are you? Like, what are you doing? And uh, that was really nice. And then uh, Lewis Ashbourne Circus, that kid is just as good as his dad. Like, there were several scenes in the movie where, yes, he plays that kind of, like, nerdy kid who gets bullied at the beginning, but he slowly starts to become that leader that he was destined to be. But then there was also some scenes with his mom that were really touching, or there was a scene with his aunt that was kind of touching, and it's just, it's a story about a kid that has to deal with these real-life consequences so young that it, it kind of propels him to grow up faster than he intended to. And so he's dealing with all that while fighting off this, um, this monster because he is the chosen one. And um, I thought he did, he was a great anchor for this movie. And then of course everyone else, um, cause him and Merlin were my favorites. And then everyone else was uh, definitely um, great. And then the, the bullies were really well realized too. Even when they made, simple mistakes like letting the bullies join the group they learn from their mistakes and then of course you know they kind of turn around and fix it towards the end so i don't know just it's screenwriting approach to me um had the consequences had the correct character growth had weight to it it wasn't vapid characters it was you know fully realized kids and i once again i think cornish did a great job with the story um dialogue and the humor could have been a little a little hokey sometimes but i can excuse that the overall um bit of the movie and then the visual tone and look to it i thought cornish did a good job moving on to the performances i already touched upon circus and uh, the kid that played merlin i gotta touch upon uh rebecca ferguson and patrick stewart to be honest with you they didn't need to be in this movie. Um, you could have had anyone else in the role. Patrick Stewart was in there three times. Um, and he's great. Uh, but I don't know. He just felt like a waste. And so did Rebecca Ferguson. I did not like her in her human form. <laughs> her human form. Uh, her wardrobe looked like she was a um, uh, a cast member at a theme park ride. It just it was not good. But, you know, her her final form... Um, while it looked sometimes bad uh, with the visual effects, I still think the overall detail of how her character looked was enough to like make me go, I can't believe this is PG. This is great. Like these kids are like probably legit being terrified from her face, um, which is great because once again, treating them like they're young adults and not babies. Um, so yeah, were they having fun in their roles? Sure, but I honestly think you could have swapped them out for anybody else. Um, and I think that's about it because I touched upon you know the visual look and the directing and the writing and the acting. I think that's where this movie kind of shines. Um, you know, I think for and also uh, just to kind of wrap it up, I think for a two-hour-long movie, pretty much it actually moves pretty pretty swiftly. I was like, oh no, these kids are gonna get bored. In this audience, I was a little worried that they would get antsy and start moving around. But everyone was paying attention. And I was actually along for this ride to where I didn't even realize it was two hours until after the movie. So that's uh, the sign of a well-edited film. So my overall thoughts, it's a good movie. I like it. It's no masterpiece. 
But you know what? I think when kids discover this movie, I think they're really going to enjoy it, and it's going to hold a, a place in their heart for when they get older and they look back on movies that they watched as kids, and they're going to be like, oh, wow, yeah, you know, I, I really enjoyed it as a kid. It's like, you know, with, uh, you know, the movies that come out uh, when Joel and I was a kid, like Flubber and stuff. Like, I'm sure if we looked at it through today's eyes, there's many problems with it. But you know what? As kids, we loved it. It was it was just fun. And uh, I, I do like the um, kind of modern take that uh, Cornish had. So overall, I'm going to give this movie a solid B. I think for what it was going for in terms of the family film genre, I think it exceeds it. And it's definitely better than some of the animated movies that come out nowadays. So I... I want Hollywood to take more risk on movies like this and make uh, PG family films, live action, a little bit more edgy and stuff. I just, I like that genre or that subgenre. And so um, for what it was trying to accomplish, it did a pretty good job. So a B for me, uh, Joel, I know just seeing your interactions on Facebook and stuff, I think you and I pretty much agree, right? Yeah, I like this as well. Um, I think that one thing that you didn't touch on, and it was something that surprised me about this movie, was not only that it had a modern take, but that it was self-aware to some degree, right. to a degree that I didn't think that was annoying. So, for instance, this is not just any old universe. Uh, this is um, genuinely like Harry Potter exists as something that's a pop culture phenomenon. Star Wars exists as something that's a pop cultural phenomenon, and we get that, and we see it in the trailer, but it's a really cool moment here where he realizes he has a magical destiny. He realizes that because of the facts of his life, for instance, the fact that he doesn't know his dad, that he kind of reflects Luke Skywalker and Harry Potter, and so now we have this kid who's kind of smart enough to realize what's going to be asked of him. Um, and so... Uh, yeah, that's why I like this. Um, you know, we've talked about this before. I don't, uh, you know, I'm not trying to put you in the spotlight or call you out on the show, um, to any degree, but we've talked about the definition of the word cheesy before. And I think that you, you tend to use it for stuff that's earnest. Cheesy is incredibly melodramatic and that's not what this movie is. Um, cheesy is basically, it's, it's, it's kind of, even if you're using it positively, like you are here. It's kind of still a put down. I think that what you're trying to say, though, is right, is that this movie is incredibly earnest in terms of the fact that it's not treating its audience like an idiot or like a bunch of idiots. And so what it does is it takes its mythology relatively seriously, but it doesn't take itself as a as a piece of storytelling too seriously. Right. Okay. So uh, I, I guess like just hearing you talk about it, that's a better way to describe it so yeah, that, yeah whatever i was trying to get across because you know guys i'm not good with my words like i got a c minus in english in high school throughout most of my life so uh whatever joel just said is exactly what i was trying to uh uh convey yeah it's um it's it's good and and, it, and it's fun i don't think obviously it's not like something that's going to change lives but it's really really interesting um that Basically, what we have here is kind of like what you're saying. It's it's an answer to these kid in the kid in King Arthur's court and 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 all of that. These very um, 
just unpretentious, completely, you know, the, the plotting, the sense of economy and the storytelling in this movie is surprising because it, it doesn't distract itself with a bunch of other side quests. It doesn't have too many subplots. And the only subplot that's really going on is him, or I guess it's not really a subplot, it's the main plot, but they treat it as sort of a side of a side thing. It's it's sort of what the, the whole story as a, as a whole represents. But, um, but it, yeah, it's, it's interesting. The thing with his dad that's going on, I thought was really well handled. And uh, you have the, the mom character here is a really touching character who um, uh, I, I think that they treat just, you know, more than just as a, uh, as a worried mom, there's, there's more going on there than that, than just her worry as a mom. There's, things that we learn as, as it goes along that, that are genuinely surprising. I didn't see certain avenues coming, um, particularly as we get to the end of that, uh, of that thread. Um, and of course, you know, it all ends in a big light and sound show with a bunch of action and that's fairly routine. Uh, the, the points of the, the, the different like elements, the, the fantastical elements are, are really fun to watch. Um, but they're routine. They're, they're what you expect. And I think that what I didn't expect was that it was not going to treat me like I'm some Dumbo, you know, as, as an audience member, like it's not trying to explain or, or at least over explain everything. Um, that's, you know, a problem that I have, for instance, with the Patrick Stewart version of that character is that he literally just shows up to explain stuff. Yeah. And that's that's when the movie falls into that. But it doesn't fall into that very much. As you said, he's in there only three times. And that's really the only time that the movie does that, um, you know, where it over explains everything. It's mostly about these kids trying to logistically just come up with different methods of surviving and, and overtaking this threat. And so it, it concerned the movie concerns itself with the point by the point by point the point by point plan um, and the fun that these kids are clearly having playing these roles comes across. And, you know, I thought that the bullies were kind of extraneous. Um, you know, they, they, they narratively kind of justify themselves by the end, but I, I don't know if the movie needs those characters. I think it, I think it could have survived without those two um, just having, uh, or maybe make them background roles in, in some way. Um, I don't think that they needed to be in, so involved in the action, um, at least to, at least for the point that the movie was trying to make. Anyway, um, but yeah, it's good. It's it's a fun it's a fun sort of little rowdy adventure, and I thought that it was quite uh, clever and and uh, and it surprised me. So yeah, I think that we're on the same boat in the same boat here. It's a B for me, um, and I, I I quite liked it. So. Um, yeah, surprising little movie. I, I, it's one that I wouldn't mind watching again. You know, I, I'm not running to go see it again. I'm just saying that if given the option to watch it again, I'd, I'd say yeah, sure, because it's fun and it's a good way to spend two hours. And, um, by the way, you're right. It does not feel two hours long. It, it didn't feel like it was, it was that long. It is that long, but it moves by pretty quickly. It's um, it, it, it's a brisk movie because of what you said in terms of it doesn't have all these subplots that is juggling. It's literally a straightforward plot. Uh, Alex does diverge a little bit, um, 
to find out some of his family history for the most part is a straightforward story and that's why it was enjoyable and it didn't feel slow because nothing was bogging it down right yeah exactly uh, again i go back to just the economy of storytelling the fact that they're so they're so intent upon telling this particular story and not going off on some random tangents and yeah i mean it just it's it felt confident and and you know to briefly touch upon the performances, I, I don't think that most of them are really worth talking about. But uh, just you know, even if they're good, it's just like whatever. But the the movie belongs to Lewis Ashbourne Circus, who I think kind of reminded me of Daniel Radcliffe in the first Harry Potter in a certain way. I think maybe he's a little more natural than Radcliffe was in that first movie, um, and maybe even more so Georgie Henley in the first Chronicles of Narnia, who played Lucy. Um, certainly the lead of the of the kids in that movie, and, and there's um, elements of this kind of um, initially reacting to stuff and then kind of cottoning on to uh, just enough to be able to keep up with the action as it goes along. It's it uh, it it works it re- it works really well, and he's terrific. I think that he's a very natural star, and uh, yeah, it's he, he definitely has a future. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and I and I think that he should be able to, you know, kind of scrape that future away from his dad. Right. I, I think that they'll be able to stand apart, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's good. So, be from both of us, uh, and it's now time to move on to my extra review. I know that Chase is very excited about this. Um, all right, guys. <laughs> So. Yeah, pl- please let our listeners know that because we rarely do this, but you're going to dive into spoilers because of how crazy it is. Yes. Okay. So, oh my gosh. All right, guys, I'm reviewing Serenity. Uh, this is the new movie from director Stephen Knight of Locke. Uh, that's the Tom Hardy in a car movie to um, <laughs> kind of snarkily uh, reduce it, but uh, really good movie, and this is not one. Um, this. All right, so here's how this is going to work. I am going to do sort of similar to what we did on our Avengers Infinity War review. Uh, I'm going to you know, talk about the aspects that I can safely talk about um, to people who are wanting to see this based on the star power. Of course, it stars Matthew McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, Diane Lane, Jason Clark, Jaiman Honsu, um, Jeremy Strong. You know, it's a good cast. Uh, so people who are wanting to see that, you can safely listen for a little bit. Um, what I'm going to do is at a certain point, I'm going to give you a seven seconds, seven seconds of silence. Chase and I will. Chase, I'm sure will 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 butt in with like a, a random noise. I, I'm to just throw me off. I I don't know, but we're going to try to give you seven seconds of silence at some point, and then you can. Pause your devices, close your windows, whatever you need to do um, to turn away so that you can see the movie and then maybe come back to it to try to make sense of what you saw and listen to my uh, to my rant that's that's coming. So first, though, I'm going to cover the um, the points of this movie that I can safely talk about. And those are that we are introduced to a fishing boat captain named uh, Baker Dill, played by Matthew McConaughey. Uh, He is obsessed with um, finding and capturing a certain fish off the the coast of this island that he has inhabited for several years. 
Um, this fish is his livelihood. He ignores all other things. He, um, you know, any other kind of, uh, all of the outside world is completely unknown and uh, a stranger to him because of how he just looks for this fish. He goes out every day and he stays out every day on the water on his boat, uh, with his first mate played by Jamin Honsu. Um, and yeah, so that, that's the setup of the character is that he's kind of unstably obsessed with this fish, right? Okay, so now it's kind of it's it's kind of a struggle to get into spoiler territory here, but I will just give very 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 vague details, um, and then in the spoiler section I will give all of everything away. So uh, basically, he is. Uh, readily involved with a um, a woman who he's he's kind of a hooker in the in the relationship. This woman played by Diane Lane. Uh, he's strapped for money relatively often, and uh, whenever they sleep together, she pays him, and it's he's able to make ends meet um, by doing that. And so it's an interesting codependent relationship that the movie doesn't actually like explore in any way because of the in, of the introduction of a character named uh, Karen, played by Anne Hathaway. She has re-entered Baker's life after several days, after several years away, and um, weirdly seems to be calling him John. Nobody really understands why that is. It seems that they knew each other in a previous life, and um, all that anybody really knows is that uh, he was once in the Iraq war and it messed him up. And now he's on this Island alone looking for this fish. Um, meanwhile, the Hathaway character hires him to kill her new husband played by Jason Clark by pushing him off his boat in the, uh, and, uh, making it seem like an accident. Basically, uh, you know, he's bringing him out for a trip and, um, the Hathaway character has paid him $10,000 to uh, make it look like it's this big fishing trip, and the Clark character is obsessed uh, in, in similar ways with, with, um, with fishing. So, you know, um, that's sort of the plan, that, that she wants him to push him out into the, into the sharks, and he'll die. And she'll pay him $10 million in cash if he does this job. All right, so... I'm just – it's really hard to talk about the qualities of the movie without talking about the main big twist, um, but I'm going to get into that now. All right. So this story as it's set up is, to me at least, pretty kind of melodramatic. Um, the performances are strange. The uh, McConaughey kind of uh, attacks every single um, line of dialogue as if he's in a David Mamet play. Uh, and it, and, and you can feel that Knight's trying to go for something mammoth-like, um, in terms of the way that words don't come out of mouths in a, in an expected order. Sometimes they will use, um, it, it's just, it's, it's a very mammoth-like way of speaking, which is hard to describe to people who don't, who aren't immediately, uh, familiar with, with mammoth's, uh, type of dialogue and films like. House of Games, or the one that he wrote, Wag the Dog, but it's a very specific, very idiosyncratic way of speaking that doesn't remind of anybody else uh, who writes dialogue. It's not 
it's not like Tarantino, for instance. Uh, it's not as filled with um, with pop culture references, but it's also not like Sorkin, where it's incredibly formal and detailed. It's more in the way people say it and the way the words are structured. That's what this movie is going for, and it fails tremendously because the dialogue is regularly awful. Um, it's always it's always telling us exactly what's happening with each of the characters and what's happening in their head, and it's just telling us all of that, right? So it's incredibly awkwardly um, uh, written and performed by McConaughey and definitely Hathaway, who plays her role all wrong. Um, in fact, the only actor who really kind of works is Jason Clark when he comes in because he's playing the character exactly as in the early 90s Joe Pesci might have if, if this movie had been made then. Um, and it's a very Pesci-like character. He's incredibly vulgar. Uh, so yes, this is a movie with a strong amount of language and it's mostly because of the Clark character. Um, and because of the way that he kind of delivers it with this Northeastern accent that, you know, works because he's such a scumbag. The character is such a scumbag. He regularly beats his wife and, um, uh, and son. And, uh, you know, so he's a, he's a drunk, abusive, uh, total scumbag and that's the kind of characters that Pesci regularly played in his R-rated uh, you know movies that that he did um, and Clark kind of delivers the the dialogue in those ways and it's impressive and it's the only really the only actor who works here uh, Diane Lane isn't given anything to do uh, Jarman Honsu just kind of stands in the background a lot um, looking suspicious um, and yeah so it's just a lot of really like overheated and then reheated melodrama that, um, yeah, it, it just it until the point at which everything shifts, it's really not interesting. It's not an interesting setup, and um, yeah. So, um, kind of going into some of the filmmaking aspects, it looks fine in terms of the cinematography. It's it definitely takes advantage of this kind of beachside location uh, that wherever they shot this, the sort of beach, the beachside photography is is very impressive and it successfully builds the world in that way. Um, but all right, so guys, if this didn't kind of turn you away from seeing the movie, and you are still interested in seeing this movie, and you don't want to have anything ruined for you we're about to give you seven seconds of silence if you don't care or if you've already read the twist or uh anything like that then keep listening but if you are not one of those people if you're somebody who wants to see this movie turn this episode off right now i'm about to give away everything and um yeah so I'm going to go to where my clock is visible and I'm going to give my uh, give our listeners 7 seconds of silence. Chase, don't make any noises. I know how you love to make noises just randomly. Um starting here in about uh 10 seconds, I'm going to give people 7 seconds of silence. And I've warned you guys, so turn away starting 
now. All right, so it's been seven seconds. People who don't want to know the secrets have turned away, I hope. Um, and the people who don't care or or want to hear by now what, what the twist is, I hope you're still listening. All right, folks. So before I actually talk about the twist, I want to talk about the history of twists in cinema um, because I have a feeling that – People are going to listen to this twist and realize, oh, wow, so Stephen Knight was trying to pull kind of an M. Night Shyamalan on you or something on the degree of, of a film like Fight Club or, um, or, or what have you, just – or the usual suspects. Uh, actually, the usual suspects might be a more apt uh, – uh, kind of a, an apt – uh, comparison because that's another twist that I don't think works in the slightest, at least when it finally comes. But anyway, something along those lines. I have a feeling that in the future, people of the future are going to ask each other, uh, where were you when you learned the twist of Serenity? Because that is how incredible this is. All right. So the 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 reason that I bring up other twists is because I think that if you watch films from Shyamalan, even if they're lunatic twists, ludicrous ones, you can always thread back through the plot and connect what you've learned to the details of the storytelling before that. It always seems to fit, even if it's completely idiotic like The Happening or if it's airtight like The Sixth Sense. You can also – you can always just go back through – and pick out little things that hint at this. And here, I suppose, you could go with the opening shot, but it still doesn't quite it doesn't quite prepare you for what's about to happen, because about 45 minutes from the end is when this movie gives gives up the game and tells us everything that's going on. And here it is. So. One detail that I mentioned that I'm now going to provide important context for is that the Jason Clark and Anne Hathaway characters have a son. What I did not mention, and this is a specific reason, is the fact that, in fact, that son is the son of the McConaughey and Hathaway characters. Uh, he ran off and went, in, and went into the war. She got pregnant and never told him. Um, and he found out later on, um, but all right, we, what we learn is that everybody we've met from the McConaughey character to the Hathaway character, to the Jason Clark character, to the Jeremy Strong character, who's this weird, like very proper businessman who keeps trying to catch the McConaughey character to tell him something important. And that ends up being this bit of, um, this bit of plotting. Uh, to the Jaiman Hansu character, to the inhabitants of the island, to the island itself, is all fake. It's all a, it's all a uh, video game, and all of the characters that we have been following are avatars in this video game, created by the son to uh, get away from his abusive father and figure out a way to kill him. So what we've been following is the story 
within the video game. And meanwhile, the flashes that we get of the sun from from the back of his head are the real world where we can hear outside of his room arguments going on with his new dad and his old mom. And then by the end, he's figured out both a way to kill him within this video game and also a way to kill him in real life, which he does in the last few scenes of the movie. Then we learn that uh, he's been sent off for a brief time to um, to a detention facility, but he's returned to his mother, and he's rewritten the game so that his father, or his fake father, this avatar within his um, within his video game, that he's written himself into the game, and now he can visit his father within this false universe. Why? Because his father is actually dead. When he went off to Iraq, he was killed in a mission and never came home. So the happy ending, yes, a happy ending that this movie comes up with is the fact that now this boy who doesn't exist in a in it doesn't actually exist within the video game can visit his dead father who is not real and is entirely within his control in the video game he created. Guys, if this movie was a person, it would think that AI artificial intelligence had a happy ending. Um, because this thing is like the Truman Show gone completely, completely demented. Um, and also, the sad fact of the matter is that this twist does not make sense given what we learn. And the reason is because of two things that Knight does. One, he has this character create a really stupid video game which makes no sense and has stupid rules and a and a and a bogus uh, motivation and a and a kind of a an idiotic uh, motive like that that you're you're trying to get this fish and you also can kill a person within the video game, um, but it also kind of reflects poorly upon this kid's imagination because again even the diane lane character who sleeps with and pays the matthew mcconaughey character and the anne hathaway character who ends up being um this person who is attracted or is trying to um keep the jason clark character happy by treating him as if he's one of these weird um kinky kind of uh, strangely sexual people who has daddy issues. Uh, basically, this kid has created female characters who are awful, awful female characters. And also, he's given us this main character in the in in uh, McConaughey's Baker, uh, or John, or whatever you want to call him. It calls him Baker for the whole movie. Um, he is a he's a video game character who slowly realizes that he is one which is not possible unless you've somehow accidentally figured out artificial intelligence so it doesn't even make sense when you thread it back through the movie because it's can feel it's concealed so much and all of the stuff that it's concealed is rubbish and yeah so that's the secret of this movie folks that everything that you watch is fake Every, I mean, everything that you watch is already fake, of course. But <laughs> even within the 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 storytelling in the movie, it's all false drama, and 
It absolutely means nothing because it's within the control of a character. And what we've been watching is something that's interactive with a character that we don't meet until at all actually we never see the kid speak we just see we just see shots of him and this and the the emotion of the story follows this video game avatar realizing that it's a video game avatar avatar and it can't do anything about that because it's not a real person and it's programmed so anything that happens with this character is as a result of programming but for a really like insidious reason uh, outside of the the confines of the video game, so yeah, this is one that people are going to be talking about for years on end. Um, it's in, in terms of just incredible twists that ruin everything. There's not much to ruin here, of course, because the setup is so poor. But when it gets there, I slapped a hand to my forehead, and I don't say that I slap a hand to my forehead unless I do it. I did it this time. Uh, because I could not believe what I was watching. It was, it was, it's that, um, it's that ridiculous. So, um, yeah, this thing is um, just a, it's just a house of cards, basically. It's, it's this thing that you, you accidentally knock it and it falls down, and it's a poorly constructed kind of. Uh, uh, yeah, just a, it's just a poorly constructed house of cards that that doesn't make any sense whenever you get there, and and it's also got this unearned sentimentality that comes across as kind of cynical. Um, uh, rather, you know, whether or not it was intentional or not, I don't know, but it's it just is a big fat. Uh, it's not a goose egg. It's it's I'm not giving it enough because I think that there's a sort of sort of a douche chill quality to this that makes it at least enjoyable to watch uh, all of this stuff unfold when it gets there. So I can't really go lower than a D on this. That's what I'm giving it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if people give this an F. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, but there's such a like an unintentional entertainment value and sort of a schadenfreude kind of element to to watching this all play, all play out that I can't get, I can't go lower than a D uh, mainly because laughably awful movies are never worthy of the F grade that's that's not what an F is for an F is for irredeemability I don't think that there's that stuff about this is irredeemable um, certainly if you were to make a story about the kid outside of the context of his video game there might be something there that adds a little bit to the movie so of course, there's there's uh, there's potential here for whatever it's trying to go for thematically, but it's really confused as is, and it's really baffling, uh, particularly as you um, you you come to to reach this uh, this twist. So, in any case, yeah, it's it's bad, and um, I I just yeah. It's bad. It's bad, 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 bad stuff. So, in any case, uh, a D for Serenity and uh, Chase. Have I have I uh, have I kind of convinced you to see it? <laughs> um, I kind of want to watch it now. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, you know what's really great about like bad movies is that you kind of want to watch them just to see how bad it is. And you know, it, it's one of those things to where like even if you like. 
back in the day, like when we saw like the snowman, you know, that was a bad movie, but like if we didn't see it, but we heard all that, you know, horrible stuff about it, you and I would have probably watched it eventually. And that, that's kind of the, the feeling I'm getting here. So yeah, I kind of want to watch it now. <laughs> well, uh, let me be one to wish you luck live on here. Uh, I guess not live on the air, but whatever. We're just going with that anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's it's astonishing to watch it unfold. I mean, it it reveals it through dialogue, which is the laziest way to do that. Uh, so it's a, it's very expository. There's a ton of exposition here. That's it's almost nonstop exposition actually. But it's it's fascinating, man. It, it's really going to be one that people kind of mull over now there's really not much to mull over thematically here whatever it's trying to say is is pretty terrible about humanity um i think but yeah it's it's certainly fascinating to watch the the things that it's trying to conceal just kind of come to light it's it's a weird one man uh and it's a bad 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 movie so uh certainly one that's going to be in contention for my top 10 worst um we'll see i mean i'm you know i I obviously see a lot of movies in the year so i don't know if it's quite going to make it i would honestly say of recent releases uh, particularly in january 2019 i think that they're getting this they would get the same rating uh but replicas the new keanu reeves movies maybe slightly worse than this uh because there there isn't as much going for it um but Whatever the case, they're both really awful, and they they certainly are the bad January movies of the year, um, you know. So yeah, I I just man, it's 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 bad. Um, all right, folks. So I gave Serenity a D, and the kid who would be king got a B from both of us. Let us know what you thought of them. Um, go into the you know obviously add spoiler alerts, but go into the spoilers about Serenity if you if you. Uh, if you saw it, uh, if you haven't seen it and you are and you are now curious because of what I told you, let us know that. Um, if you stayed listening and wanted to see it, then you know I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> so, all right. Um, next week we are going to be reviewing Miss Bala. I think that Chase told you that uh, earlier in the show, but that's going to be our review. And also, we're bringing back our special segment on the uh, the top five films of a year in this decade. We're, we're going to be talking about the top five films of 2015. So that's that's on next week's slate. Um, Chase, any last words? I am really excited about next Sunday because that is pretty much death day for Joel because he has to escape the internet while all these trailers drop during the Super Bowl. And I'm just oh. going gonna, gonna to be really excited to see him squirm and not try to go on Twitter or Facebook. You know, it's interesting because there's been a lot of these trailers coming out of um, in the last in the last day or so uh, since after we uh, or after I compiled notes um, and after you compiled trailers to talk about that have been dropping from Sundance and they're movies that I'm interested in, but I haven't watched the trailers and I got to say I, I'm fine with it. I, it's it's interesting. I know that there's going to be trailers that are that are you know, struggles, Star Wars for one, but unless I decide to watch that. Um, <laughs> but I, for the most part, it's just like, you know what? 
I'm fine with it. I, I, I think that I think that I'm good. I haven't had that sense of like what I thought what I, I was gonna have, where it's like withdrawal from some sort of trailer addiction or something. I, I I'm not having that, and I I am surprised just because I I watched trailers for so long, and I thought that I would have more of a um, a reaction to it, but you know I've gotten into a pattern where. I just see that a trailer has dropped. I realize, oh, I'm probably going to hear about that from Chase. And I'm fine with that. And then whenever I go to a movie, I usually have at least a little bit of a window, literal window, to see through the door. And, you know, I can't really hear the stuff that's going on, but I can see that it's a trailer. And then I just make sure that I pay attention because at the AMC, the little pre-theater thing that says, you know, don't text or whatever comes after the trailers and before the movie and it's way louder than any of the trailers um so i can always hear the the music come up and i'm and i'm fine with that and i just walk in take my seat and uh that, and I'm that good. is such it, a lie so here's what's gonna happen <laughs> next week like do you guys remember the opening scene in twister when they're like like really trying to hold the the <clears throat> like sheltered door as tight as they can, and the tornado is just like ramming on the door, and just like it's just shaking violently. So the tornado is the swirl of trailers that's coming Joel's way, and Joel is the husband trying to lock the door so the tornado doesn't get his family. Like that's exactly what he's doing. So it's a complete lie. He he might be casual about it, but next Sunday is going to be awful for him because there's going to be so many people talking about the trailer spots, but. Uh, no, no, you know, it's, uh, Bill Paxton, I'm Bill Paxton. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah. So that will be next week is, uh, Ms. Bala, uh, the, uh, American remake. Um, but I'm, I'm excited because I like me some Gina Rodriguez. So why not? Uh, but that will be next week. Uh, but Joel, where can the, uh, people find you online? Uh, I, you can find my writing at Joel on film. By the time a lot of people are listening to this, I should have new reviews up. Of course, I was kind of pressed for time uh, this weekend. I haven't written my two reviews for the weekend, The Kid Who Would Be King and Serenity, but I'm off to do that here in a little bit. Um, but I should have those up, and also I caught up with um, Goosebumps 2 and The Old Man of the Gun recently at home. So I've got those reviews written, and, and all of that's coming. Um, then you have... Uh, my Twitter, which is Real Joel Copling, I ramble in endlessly on that. You got my uh, letterbox page where I include, you know, kind of pimp out my website. Um, you can find some of my writing at DallasMovieScreenings.com. I haven't had anything a in a while, although I might have something in March coming up. We'll see. Um, and then uh, let's see what else. Is that it. That's pretty much it. Uh, that's where you can find me online other than this other than this podcast. Right. And if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Real Chase Lee. And, of course, uh, you know, follow this podcast around, whether it's on CastBox, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever. Please spread it around. Let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to. I am Chase. That is Joel over there. And tune in next week for episode 265 where we talk about Ms. Bala. But this has been episode 264. You guys are awesome. Peace out, everybody. Bye.